Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Paul Raff, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks so much, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Paul Raff is an architect, artist, and founding principal of Paul Raff Studio based in Toronto, Canada. Paul's reputation for excellence was established at the outset of his career in 1993 with an award-winning design for Toronto's waterfront redevelopment. Uh, His architectural experience includes involvement in world-class projects such as the Chinese Vice President's House in Shanghai and the Barcelona Waterfront Redevelopment. And his art experience includes temporary environmental installations and permanent sculptural works such as the Regina Gateway commissioned by the City of Regina in Canada. So, Paul, I shared a little bit about you. There's much more to you. Um, I'd love to dive deeper. I want to learn more about you, where you started, what inspired you to become an architect, who inspired you to become an architect. Share that story and lead us uh, back to where we are today. And then we'll have a great great conversation about uh, residential architecture and how things are changing with the world that we're living in today. That's great. Well, I'm I'm, uh, I'm an architect and... uh, um, I've devoted a lot of um, my 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 life and energy to architecture since I was very very young, and I think it started out because I was just very interested in places, in physical places, whether it be a streetscape or a landscape or a bedroom or it, you know it sort of didn't matter, but the the physical qualities of the space, the 
color, the light, the you know the aesthetics, the feeling of it, um, um, were of interest to me. And you know, there are probably a lot of different ways to um, engage that interest. Uh, I could have been a photographer. Um, I could have been a writer. Um, but you know, architecture obviously is a, is a involved in in place making and place shaping, place changing, place Paul, transforming, and and that's Paul, that's the yeah. When when you when did you discover that? When when did you become conscious of that uh, interest in in space? Uh, probably as a very young child, probably age seven, eight, nine. Always been part yeah. of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And it partly comes from my family. My, my mom was from the West coast. My dad was from a big Eastern city and we lived in between in the middle of the prairies. And so I experienced a lot of different urban environments and geographic environments. And so I, by comparison, by contrast, yeah. it kind of stimulated it. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, tell me the rest of the story. So well, you, uh, yeah. a friend of a friend of mine, my best friend's family was um, having a new house built and uh, I saw the floor plans and they were tracing over them and making adjustments. And I got out, you know, my grid paper and I started tracing them and making adjustments too. this was I was age 11. And then I discovered that there's a word for this, you know, architecture, it's architectural design. And, you know, that was pretty much it for me. That was going to be locked in thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so where, how did you get to where you are now? Um, well, I, um, uh, started to self-study architecture even when I was in high school by, um, I was living in Toronto and I would go to the university of Toronto's guest lecture series. I would read the architectural journals that I got my hands on. And, uh, I ended up enrolling in the university of Waterloo school of architecture, which was a terrific, rigorous education, um, um, and, and I interned um, in offices uh, in different cities around the world, New York, Barcelona, um, Hong Kong, and used those as um, ways to learn more about architectural practice kind of now, in, you know, at, at, the, at the time, um, but also um, in, in different cultures comparatively, but then also, of course, used them as travel takeoff points. And uh, I covered a lot of ground as a young man. Um, traveling and getting getting to again self study um, the history of architecture and and urban landscapes and uh, um, you know inevitably um, I discovered that a lot of architectural practice um, is kind of you know labor intensive grunt work you know preparing like door schedules and window schedules and deficiency lists and um, and I decided instead to practice as an artist for a number of years before I before I actually um, got a license to practice architecture and 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 became a um, principal of a, of a firm. Um, the the my my artwork was very much about architectural issues, space, place, transformation, light, movement, um, the body, and um, um, and it was it was very very satisfying. And that segued into when I founded Paul Raff Studio uh, as an incorporated architecture firm that we not only were designing buildings, but we were called upon to do, you know, public artworks and to be kind of creative and artistic lead on, on as a member of a collaborative team where we weren't the architects, but we worked with very good architects, um, helping to uh, uh, advance the artistic side of buildings. And so, you know, now my practice has grown to, to be, you know, 15 people. And uh, we've practiced, we've, you know, we've done projects on several continents um, we do a lot of uh, residential architecture and um, um, and it still you know um, somehow blurs lines between art and architecture at certain moments and uh, um, 
uh, it's exciting and 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 I love it. It sounds like a great practice. When you when you um, started doing architecture in in other firms and you decided that okay I'm going to take some time off and do art and follow my passion for art was that a thought when you when you pursued that art did you have the thought that I'm just going to take a break and go do some art and then I'll come back to architecture or did you think that maybe I'm going to go do art and we'll see where it goes with the architecture was there was there a plan when you did that um well I you know it um no, there wasn't. There wasn't a plan, except that for me, it wasn't such a big transition. It was like doing creative, challenging, interesting work, trying to make beautiful, remarkable, provocative, poetic things in the world, and it was just doing it without clients. I mean, and you know, sometimes without building permits, and sometimes not having to worry about door and window schedules and you know deficiency lists. So, so no, to me, it was just um, trying to trying to spread my creative wings. Um, to relieving some of the burden of practice, um, uh, and and it, it all felt very natural to me. And when you launched Paul Raff Studio, was that sort of an evolution of that art? And how did that happen? How did you go from doing that art to okay, I'm going to launch a studio based on architecture and art? Um, well, I had already started getting some commissioned works as as an artist. Um, you know, kind of. You know, particular specialized installations within larger buildings. Architects were recommending, you know, getting me involved in that. Um, I had to uh, moonlight and do that just at night for uh, for several years because I, I you know, I, did, I didn't have enough experience. I didn't have enough. Um, I didn't have a license. I, you know, I wasn't in a position to um, to start a to start a practice. So I, I worked for a couple of firms very hard for several years. Um, one doing, you know, exclusively kind of super high-end residential, and another one doing more of a mix of institutional and commercial. Um, while carrying on some artistic work at night and on weekends, I was uh, working very long hours and very long weeks, and uh, um, and it, you know, it all it all um, segued naturally. Except that, uh, um, so I, you know, eventually I, I got up the courage and the and the will to uh, uh, to start the practice, not because I had a great desire to. Uh, to, to be a businessman, I I didn't. Um, it was just uh, it was just about um, a creative ambition and, and wanting do, to be in control of it. Sorry. Yeah. And you do and you do um, work all over the world now. And so so how did you how did you do that? How was that part of the art? Is that what what led you to work uh, throughout the world? No, I think what happened was because I had. Um, interned internationally mm -hmm. i had a few contacts and a lot of familiarity with um you know things are done differently say in china than they are in um you know in texas and uh you know practice is done differently there are different expectations there are different contract types there are a lot of similarities a lot a lot of similarities um but you know most you know a lot of you know in the industry on the ground the building industry it's all kind of set up a little bit differently so just having that knowledge um um, made it possible. And uh, in the early years of my practice, you know, China was booming, Southeast Asia, there were a lot of developing markets. It was kind of the talk of the town. A lot of American firms were, you know, looking to work abroad. And, you know, even though I was a one man show with like, a, you know, occasional, you know, a couple students assisting me, um, it, you know, once I saw, you know, the potential of, of, and of building on my contacts and doing a few projects, um, it just, it just went from there. 
and we're, we're recording this in February of 2021. So we're about uh, we're about um, a year into the pandemic, and the and yeah. and um, the world has changed. Right back in 2020, February 2020, a year ago, um, the whole world changed pretty much within a week. Right, we we all sort of collectively realized that this was going to be serious and this was going to be relatively long term. We at the time we didn't know how long term it would be. Um, and at that moment, it, things changed throughout the world, right? Business changed, the way we practiced changed, the way people live changed. Um, and not just in architecture, in everything we do has changed. And some of it is temporary and it'll shift and it'll evolve. And some of it is permanent and some of it is good permanent and some of that is bad permanent. And I think the way we live is 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 different. And I wanted to talk to you about that piece of where we are today. Are you doing a lot of residential architecture and, and how has uh, the the changes caused and influenced by the pandemic changed the way you're designing homes today? Um, well, um, I think, yeah, the pandemic is a huge game changer in a lot of ways, including for architecture and thinking about architecture. I mean, you know, you don't you don't even want to get in an elevator with someone. You don't want to share an office space with someone. You know, you you you're working at home. Um, so you know, I my thinking about how the pandemic has shifted things is mostly focused on the idea of home, what home is to us, what yeah. it is as a as a practical reality, like like what you know, whether it's you know how it functions, um, how it performs, and um, and you know how it how it how it looks and feels. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk when you read articles about how the pandemic has changed things. It says that people say it's accelerating, you know, patterns that were already there. I think a lot of that is true. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, um, but, um, but some of it's not just an acceleration. So the home office, for example, used to be a kind of kind of a luxury like you had to you know have a pretty nice home for you know the parent to have a private study where they could close the door and have acoustic privacy and have their desk and their computer set up and so on um now you know everybody has it in one way or another makeshift or not in a corner of their kitchen or in their walk-in closet or somehow you've set up a home office so um you know that that's a game changer um in terms of a functional requirement for a house but it's also a game changer in the time you spend there. And, you know, the more time you spend there, the more it is very much part of your life. It, it is a huge part of your quality of life. And so I have always thought that the home is a huge part of your quality of life. I've always advocated for, you know, homes to be done in a way that is, you know, functional and beautiful and uplifting and restorative and, you know, um, but now everyone sort of more easily gets it's really brought that into focus for everyone that this is really really important um so um functional requirements now now so it's the office at home it's the gym at home it's lots of it's, a, it's school at home for your kids um and and um you know that so little things you know the, the ability to um acoustically isolate individuals within the home that's a that's a game change too there are a lot of factors um but the one that you know in my practice we focus a lot on you know issues of sustainability and how you know having a kind of non-toxic energy efficient you know building um house can um, um how thinking about those things 
um, and thinking about the aesthetic artistic side of architecture, how those two things can work together, how thinking about sustainability and performance issues can help drive artistic innovation in architecture because you're having to do things a little differently. Maybe, maybe that looks different, maybe it's configured differently and has a different aesthetic result, a different architectonic, a different feeling. So I've always been interested in that, but with the pandemic, um, it again brings it into focus for everyone and suddenly quality of light, quality of air, the acoustic issues like I just mentioned, uh, become you know very very important to many many people. Yeah, and not just architects. It it really it's very interesting the way you presented that because I think architects are always looking for a way to communicate our value to the world, right? And this is one of those opportunities, right? We just shifted from the house just sort of being a place where we go home and sleep on our way back to work, um, and now as you just described. Our home is a multifunctional, you know, uh, building. It's it needs to be a place where we sleep and we eat, and we raise our children. But now it's also a place where we work, and it's a place where we 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 do our fitness, and it's a place where we may educate our children. And some of this is permanent, right? Some of this, the way we live, is going to change. And so, people throughout the world are slowly recognizing this, right? Living in their house for the last twelve months. 24 hours a day has shifted the way they look at their house. So now this is an opportunity for architects to show their value that architecture is important, not, not only functionally, like you said, Paul, but also uh, in terms of beauty and the way we, we experience our homes and the way we live in our homes and the health of our homes. It's all brought that to light to the general public. And so now it's our, it's our responsibility and it's our opportunity as architects to jump up and say, hey, we are the leaders here. We are the ones that understand how to, uh, to, to make these homes more functional and more beautiful and more effective for the way you live. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people, it's, it's definitely made the value of what we can do um, um, more potentially apparent to people. And, um, you know, I think architects can really um, take advantage of this and, um, uh, and and they are. I mean, they, they're you know the residential sector is is booming um, in many places, and um, uh, and and it's it's uh, you know giving a lot of architects a real opportunity to um, uh, to show what we can do. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. Let's talk ArcViz technology. Powered by the near limitless Unreal Engine, our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider. Immersing your clients in a way that they'll love and more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Why not share your design with stakeholders in collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? There's no better way to get buy-in than making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial. Check it out at twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect to get Twinmotion for free. 
BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to rcat.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email, it's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. It's, it's, it's harder though. It, so that's the great opportunity, but it's not easy to, to it was hard enough when we, you know, people talked about form and function more than a hundred years ago. And we all talk about, you know, program and site and blah, 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 and construction, you know, all we're doing, we're, those things haven't gone away. We're just adding to the symphony of considerations, you know, suddenly we're like, you know, acoustics and, um, you know, uh, home, you know, all these, all the, you know, an air quality, like we're just adding to the architects, um, um, list of things they have to consider when they're trying to synthesize a design solution and, you know, deliver a design and a, and a product. So, um, it's a great opportunity. It's, uh, it's a considerable responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And with those responsibilities, you know, come opportunity, right? We, we, yeah. we become more valuable uh, when we have those responsibilities and it is apparent to the general public that we are the people who are taking on those responsibilities that are, this is what architects do. Uh, yeah. And to do that, we need to talk about it so that, you know, that's one reason right. we're talking about it. You and I are talking about it right now. So if I can mention, Mark, there's one, there's one aspect about, um, how the home has changed because of the pandemic that I didn't mention yet, which is interesting. When you designed a house in the past, it had, uh, you know, a curb appeal and a front door and a way people enter, uh, you know, a closet, a powder room, like a kind of gracious entry, a formal living room where you entertain people. Well, we're not entertaining right now. Right. Um, the, the entertaining we're doing doesn't come through the front door. It comes through the computer and the webcam. And so the social um, view of the house is the, the point of view has changed. The entry point has changed. So 
even that, like the social dynamic of a house in, in inter the interaction between the inhabitants, occupants of the house, and everybody else in the world has also transformed. So as architects, we can recognize this, we can talk about it, and everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, well, that's, uh, that's obvious. I noticed that. But we're the ones with the, um, with the lexicon and the tools and the skills to uh, give that voice and and um, um, and 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 lead help lead it. Yeah, you're those of you who are listening. You, I, I hear this all the time. We need to create content. We need to tell stories. We need to get out there and talk on social media and be in front of our in in front of the world so we can tell our stories. Here is a perfect opportunity to do this, right? To educate the world on on how um, the importance of what's happened here, right? Many of them will acknowledge that this has happened. Some of them may not even realize that it's happened, um, but it is it is an opportunity and our responsibility to share that with them, right? To tell the stories that you're you, the knowledge that you have of how you can design better homes, how you can uh, 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 effectively respond to this new entry that Paul's talking about. Um, it's a great opportunity for us to, to uh, transition back to the leader of the built environment um, and say, here's where we can go with what's ahead of us. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the, everyone's, you know, the general public is very primed to, to hear this message right now. And, um, uh, so, you know, one of the things in my practice, I, you know, artistically, I was always interested in um, in light, in natural light and the qualities of light. Um, as I started my practice and the issues of, you know, sustainability and building carbon footprint came into focus, I suddenly realized, well, you know, light's also energy and we can, you know, you know, shade it and keep it out when we don't want it. And we can try and bring it in when we do want it to help heat our homes. And, and now when you, and so, um, um, but when you talk to you, so when you talk to people about, you know, what is your house, I often talk about it's everything that kind of, you know, potentially separates you from the world that actually divorces you from the world around you, the natural light and sky and air and everything else, um, um, or, or it can help like connect you or redefine your relationship to those things. So it's very easy to tell people, look, you're now spending nearly 24 hours a day at home and you're more than ever you know, you're maybe more connected, you know, virtually through, you know, through the internet to the world, but it, you know, you, you're a, you're an animal and, um, and you're sensitive to these things. You're sensitive to kind of air quality and, 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 you know, he, hearing the wind rustle in the leaves and, and, you know, light, which, you know, is proven to have a huge, um, effect on, on, on human health and sense of well-being. So, so, you know, I talk to people through these very simple means about how, how a building can not just separate you and protect you from the world around you, but also connect you to it because we're more than ever disconnected from it. How are you telling that story, Paul? Are you doing that? How are you telling that story? You're, you're, you're saying that this is an opportunity for us to tell that story. How are you doing it with your firm? Uh, well, you know, I do it by, by, um, um, talking to my clients and, and actually showing it in the design. So, you know, I'm I'm designing a house right now where, um, where you know I can you know do a do a kind of really funky roofscape which has funny angles and odd shapes and it is cool it is cool but it is also you know you know angling to capture the light where you want it shade it and you know tilt the photovoltaics on the roof at the 
optimal angle. And, um, and it's through the work. It's, it's through, you know, speaking about the projects and speed. So the work has to be there. You have to be actually delivering it with your design work. You have to, you know, um, you can't just say this is an area of concern. You've got to like point to, you know, real projects and examples, um, your own projects or historic projects that, that do it. That's how you, that's how I do it. Are you doing anything different in the past year with your business in terms of marketing or, or branding or any of that kind of thing? Um, well, you know, the truth is, Mark, that um, as a as a you know the principle of a of a of a you know small practice, um, we've been just uh, the extra work that's come with the pandemic is just learning how to do really creative collaborative work. And the you know the cornerstone of all of my successful projects is that they're, is that they're not mine; they're absolute collaborations. Um, and my success as a as a creative person. Um, is an ability to lead and curate a collaborative process amongst architects, clients, artists, and you know the whole everyone involved yeah. potentially in a project. Um, and so, for me, no, I, I actually, frankly, haven't had a lot of time to kind of rethink this as a marketing opportunity. I've been really struggling with how this new environment, how we can do keep up our extremely high level of creative collaborative work um, when we're not in the same room together much anymore. Yeah. Where do you think we go from here? And this, you know, we're a year into the pandemic. Some of it will be permanent. Some of it will will evolve and change from what it once was. Um, where do you think we go from here in, in terms of residential architecture and how we live? Um, we're talking about sort of responding to the things that we're dealing with today. What are your thoughts on on you know the next five years and ten years of how we live? Um. Well, uh, um, I don't think anyone's going to forget this year, and I think it's going to um, make a big imprint. So uh, um, I don't, I don't think ever anything's going to be fully dialed back to the way it was um, because our mentality has changed. At least you know people who have you know been awake and alive through this year, maybe not future generations. Maybe maybe they'll revert, but. Um, um, uh, I think everything we've talked about, about a, like a broader idea of, of what architects um, um, and can do with their projects and a, and a more receptive um, public to, to the importance of, of what architecture um, architects can do for people. I think that's, that's, that's where we go. We, we work with it and we build on it. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said at the very beginning, how, um, some are saying that that we're seeing accelerated patterns of things that were already happening, and that certainly is true. And those patterns that were already happening are most likely permanent or a continued evolution uh, of how we live and work. And and I think this work at home and school at home and fitness at home and this integrated living space that homes are becoming uh, is permanent. That that the way we live as human beings. Uh, we'll never go back to the way it was. It will continue to evolve, and we've just rapidly uh, evolved to a new way of living. And some of it will continue to change and continue to evolve, and some of it may go back to the way it was. Um, but this is a new way. This is a new way of living. And so, therefore, it is a new way that we should be looking at home and houses and the way we design and talk about those houses. Yeah, although I'll, I'll also say that, um, you know, in the, in the, 
in the you know modern era, you know, when everyone started in the 20th century, when everyone started to have cars and build larger houses and larger suburbs, and they started to have rec rooms and jacuzzis, you know, it's it was all you know it was kind of going the way of the kind of individualistic. I have it all myself. My house is my castle. Um, and in a way, you know, maybe starting 60s, 70s, there was a big kind of interest in urban renewal, and you know, a lot of you know, you know, in New York or to Toronto or Austin, like there's a, there's there's been a lot of kind of um, moving away from from that kind of suburban um, yeah. explosion of the especially of the post-war era, but before as well, um, to to more of an urban way of living like a person in manhattan would think of having like a home gym or a home office your like you barely even have a kitchen because your social life is the restaurant like that's your dining room so that kind of urban living you know is it gone forever i i hope not i uh, i don't think so um but i'm just saying that even though yes you and i and others have said the pandemic is sort of accelerating trends that were already there yeah, there's some reversal of some trends. There's some ebb and flow um, sure. moving in different directions. So um, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to know how it's really going to go. It will be very interesting. I mean, certainly, as you mentioned, I mean, we're talking about residential homes and and suburban homes. I mean, there's <laughs> the vast majority of human beings on the planet don't live that way, and so cities will evolve and change as well uh, in order to. Uh, uh, to uh, to to adjust to this new pandemic and, and or the way that we're living, real estate patterns. You know, like you know, people are not um, are reluctant to be sort of building buildings that are all about kind of restaurants or you know m you know multi residential right now. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of people are kind of building country estates because you know why live in the city when you can't even use the city. Um, uh, you know, and maybe what we'll see is more pluralization of different ways of living, and and you know that can be that can be very positive too. Yeah, the cities will evolve, and the, it's exciting because I think they will evolve in very positive ways. I think the way we live in cities will will improve uh, as a as a result of this, and so that's very exciting. I think I think everything that we're talking about these opportunities before us, um, it is an opportunity for architects. And so when, when we hear the ideas, the stories that architects are becoming obsolete because others are taking our jobs, this is our opportunity. This is, this is the moment where we can stand up as a profession and say, this, we are the people who can solve these problems. Yeah, the idea that architects are becoming obsolete is, is um, arguably a little bit silly. Um, architects um, are um, becoming uh, more general, generalist. Um, you know, it used to be we, you know, designed our own s structure, and you know, we've, you know, we we now we 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 work on projects where there are like 17 consulting engineers. There's a traffic engineer, the acoustic engineer, the lighting engineer. That you know, and and so architects are more more and more in a different role of generalist conductor, and not able to like custom control every aspect of a project because there are too many concerns. I don't think that's going away, but that makes architects um, more valuable because you can't you can't automate like conducting you can't automate conducting and synthesizing ideal solutions out of millions of variables it, it can't be done very much so yeah um uh, paul what's one thing a small firm architect we're, we're talking we're talking to thousands of architects right now and they're mostly small firms small firm owners 
Um, and this is a question that I ask everybody that comes on the show. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Well, um, I think it's, uh, you know, um, um, learn to articulate to your potential clients um, early on, um, you know, the, the, you know, the potential um, um, of what you do and, and the importance of what you do and, and how much effect it can have on these um, uh, uh, things that are of, of value to them. Yeah, now more than ever. <laughs> his name is Paul Raff. You can learn more about Paul and his studio and the work that he's doing at paulraffstudio.com. It's R-A-F-F, so paulraffstudio.com. We'll have a link to that on the show notes. Um, is there any, uh, do you, are you are you guys on social media anywhere we can connect with you on social media? Uh, we're on Instagram. All right, so we'll have a link to that as well. Paul, I appreciate you spending some time with me. This has been a fascinating conversation. It's really uh, one of those conversations that I think many of us are thinking in the back of our minds that this is happening, right? And uh, it's an interesting conversation. So thank you for joining here and sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks for having me. And thanks for what you do for our community. Really appreciate it. I appreciate that, Paul. Thank you very much. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how you can help grow Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, FreshBooks, RCAT, and Twinmotion for their support of this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all our resources that we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. That's you. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-media.com. Go there now. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources for architects, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Yep, they are there, they are too. Entree Architect is there for you. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, 
stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> I did it guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.